podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Nesson Dorma, episode 7, I think we're at now, your weekly chat about 80s and 90s football. I am Lee Calvert and we welcome this week the return of Mr Rob Smythe after his small absence. Hello Rob. Hello, how are you doing? Good, good, good. And also join us this week is author of Football Clichés and all-round general Twitter video legend, Mr Adam Hurry. Hello Adam. <laughs> Thank you for that intro, yeah. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> uh, th- this is the Ness and Dorma podcast, the 80s and 90s football podcast. You can get in touch with us at Ness and Dorma pod on Twitter or there's contact at Ness and Dorma pod if you want to email us. We're available on Acast and on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, as we have to call it now, and anywhere else you want to use us as your favourite pod player. You can leave reviews as well. Thank you for those of you who have left reviews. Uh, so what have we got coming up this week? Well, this week we'll be nominating some things for the underrated Hall of Fame, which I'm determined to make into a thing. <laughs> Uh, we'll be talking about the back pass rule and the change in 1992 as part of that as well. And we'll be considering some of one of the greatest of all football arguments, stroke conundrums, stroke the dividing line really about the kind of person that you are possibly. Uh, are you Barry or are you Motti? We'll come on to that. And also we'll be selecting the first of what will become a regular feature, I think, with, the, with our journeyman of the week. So there you go. Speaking of contacts that I mentioned earlier, we've had an email, believe it or not. So there are people out there, Rob. So have you been uh, have you been making up pseudonyms again? <laughs> yeah, honestly, I didn't even make it up. <laughs> the the email is from Gary Ashdown. He says, "Hi, gents. Very much enjoying the podcast. Looking forward to many further episodes. Thank you very much." He says, "And I have a what if scenario that I'd like you to consider." He said, "1992-1993 season. Dion Dublin, recently signed to carry the Manchester United forward line, doesn't break his leg against Crystal Palace." He goes on to become Manchester Manchester United legend, at times carrying the team as they go on to win title after title. Meanwhile, Leeds United's exotic forward Eric Cantona stays for a season or two, scores a few, moves to Aston Villa, and then traipses around the league, often playing as an emergency centre-half. <laughs> widely, regarded as, <laughs> widely regarded as a solid stalwart, but ultimately unfashionable forward, he retires at the age of 36. Does Eric go on to pre- present Holmes under the hammer? And does Ken, <laughs> and does Ken Loach eventually make a movie titled "Looking for Dion"? <laughs> I do think Eric Cantona presenting Holmes Under the Hammer would be probably the greatest piece of modern television you could ever think of. Really. I quite like the idea of Dion Dublin uttering that line where he's at Cantona. So I'm not a man. I'm Cantona. <laughs> I'm, I'm not a man. I'm Dublin. I'm not a man. I'm <laughs> Dion Dublin. Yeah. <laughs> I guess all, all we're missing, all we're missing from this very, very extended um, parallel universe is uh, what Alex Ferguson thinks about Eric Cantona in the showers. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> of course, yeah. So yeah, that was. Thank you very much for that, Gary. That could become a regular feature, I think. A little what, trip through what if, uh, what if something else didn't happen, and maybe did somebody else end up somewhere else? Maybe I don't know. I'll have to think about it. So then, let's move on to what we think is some underrated stuff so we'll have an underrated now then we'll talk about Barry and Motti and then a few more things and an underrated as we go through Adam when we asked for people to nominate underrated things you came up with a quite an interesting one so do you want to tell us what that is yeah I wasn't I wasn't trying to be deliberately uh, clever here I um <laughs> I, I thought momentarily about an underrated player but that, you know that always gets a reaction of no oh, I've quite rated that guy so <laughs> so I avoided that completely and uh, I went for a sort of a little bugbear of mine really because uh, it all stems from when people sneer about uh, the claim that football was invented in 1992, the, the idea that we all just assumed that, that everyone started watching football when, when Sky took over. Now, my, my, my bugbear with this is that, to an extent, football was invented in 1992, or rather reinvented, because there was this moment um, which has since gone under the radar a little bit. But this is a moment that completely transformed football, and it was the introduction of the backpass law. Mm. Um, and it came in in the summer of '92, just after the European Championships, um, which and but obviously this this law had been in the in the in the pipeline for some time. It had been inspired by uh, a rather dour World Cup in 1990, um, and so they went back to the drawing board and said, "How you know how can we improve this game? How can we how can we make it more exciting to watch?" Um, and uh, 
the end of Euro 92 was quite an opportune time for it to come in because Denmark, as, as fairy tale as their story had been, they saw out this final against, um, against Germany with some unbelievable um, keeping of possession, uh, to use the best euphemism I can. Um, they, 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 were winning, they were winning sort of free kicks for offsides or whatever in their own half. And um, they were just tapping it back to Schmeichel and he would just stand there with his hands hovering over the ball while Klinsman increasingly wearily <laughs> ran up to him and said, you're just going to pick that pass without fighting. <laughs> and, and they just kept on doing it. And, um, and some of these back passes were, were just incredible. There was, there was a free kick on the halfway line, which they just hoofed back. Um, there was a free kick deep in their own half, which they gestured to play upfield. And then right at the last minute, whoever was taking it just sort of spun around and hit it back to Schmeichel. So, um, so that was the, it was the final flourish for, for what, um, was you know everyone's favourite get out clause, and um, looking back and you know again hindsight is a wonderful thing. But looking back, it makes me wonder how teams ever lost a, a one goal lead late in the game. <laughs> there is that, yeah, that is isn't being, it? Yeah, a classic example being sort of the nineteen eighty nine game between Liverpool and Arsenal. Um, well, I look at it, I look back at it now, and you know just before Arsenal Arsenal score their 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 famous goal, John Barnes is running into. Um, is the opposition area. He loses the ball and Arsenal launch an attack. Now, what Barnes could have done, or anyone could have done, is just, just, just turn around and smack it all the way back to Grobola. How anyone lost a lead when, they, when it was perfectly within the laws of the game just to boot it back to your own goalkeeper for him to just bounce happily on the ground, hoop it up the pitch again. I mean, there's this vague concept of ungentlemanly conduct which, you know, could have been deployed at any stage. Um, it never was, though, so, was it? The ungentlemanly no, conduct thing was never often. deployed. So you go on, so right. I mean, even even in that game, actually, I think it was um, round about round about the time um, Arsenal scored, maybe a couple of minutes before. Steve McMahon got the ball in his own half, and he sort of he did this sort of um, hip swerve and, uh, around a, an Arsenal striker, and then laid the ball back to to Grobola. Now, watching it on the video, it looks like he's laying the ball forward for someone to go through on goal. That's how that's how stealthily brilliant the uh, that mm-hmm. back pass was. But it was all in vain. And, and so, again, just to overstretch the point, I just I can't fathom how anyone um, uh, lost any late lead back in the sort of 80s and early 90s. But anyway, um, so, yeah, so IFAB, this, this kind of mythical board of, of old fuddy-duddies, decided to um, bring in this rule. Sorry, what was that um, called? IFAB? IFAB, which is the <laughs> International Football Association Board, which is, I don't know, it's, it's where they are, I've got no idea. They sit in this kind of wood-panelled room somewhere in Central Europe, who knows. And, um, and it's made up of, um, a, a, again, very old-fashioned. It's made up of um, uh, a representative from FIFA and then the four home nations who, have this, who used to have this kind of un, disproportionately um, uh, huge influence over the, over the rules of football. In recent times, they've kind of balanced it out a bit, but they still have these, the four members uh, of the home nations, associations. And the football, uh, football, of course, I have another thing I do is a rugby pod. And obviously, Rob, you write yeah. about cricket a lot. And what's noticeable about football is it seems a very modern game. But actually, in terms of things like rule changes and stuff, they move at like a prehistoric pace to make any changes to anything, don't they? Basically. I think, I think that's rightly so, isn't it? I don't, I, Rob, I don't know how you think about it. But I think, I mean, they, the rules haven't changed too much in the last hundred years or so after being sort of, you know, jiggled around with in the latter part of the 19th century. But it's probably a good thing that we don't tinker with it too much. That's true. You can go too far. In cricket, you had that super sub fast. And, oh, God, but, yeah. But, but, yeah. Um, but, I, but I agree, it does take a long time, generally. Just I, IFAB sounds like a really shit geriatric boy band, doesn't it? <laughs> a great name. Or one of those things you buy off Amazon, which is sold as some kind of official Apple thing, and it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's from like China way, somewhere. What the way it's two ninety nine. Yeah. yeah. So that thing about it being underrated is interesting, though, Adam, because it is that thing. about I remember because I think I'm a bit older than you, and I remember when it came in, and I remember thinking, I remember be, one being very excited about it because of that thing that things didn't change in football much. It seemed like a massive thing. We've had offside and stuff since then, haven't we? But that was, and I remember, and I remember, being, I remember being genuinely quite excited about it actually. And it was so weird watching games. For at least a month, well, where I couldn't figure yeah, it was, it was the weirdest thing. It was like, oh, oh yeah, you can't do that, can you? Always oh, had to kick it, sort of thing. That kind of, 
Well, exactly. I mean, um, but, but there wasn't much. There wasn't much that players could really do to prepare for it. I guess. I mean, um, so obviously the the game essentially changed overnight. So you know, a fundamental but rather un, you know under the radar rule had changed. But you still had a set of players who were, who were very well versed in in that way of playing. So um, there were a couple of teams. Yeah. It's it's kind of um, hypothesised that it was the death of Liverpool as a, as a force in English football. I mean, there are various other factors at play there. But a team like Leeds United, for example, who had who had used the um, the back pass to a, to the to the goalkeeper to to reset everything as a game plan in their title winning season the season before, where they they get the ball back to John Lukic and everyone would pile up the field and he'd hoof the ball up. So it was so a team like Leeds who essentially collapsed the following season because that because they had a set of players who were completely geared towards that way of playing. In a more short term way, um, the very first week of the Premier League season. Um, on Match of the Day, which you can watch on YouTube somewhere, um, where they 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 intro Match of the Day by talking about this rule and just saying how many problems goalkeepers had, and there was this kind of sh- short montage at the start of start of Match of the Day, just by these kind of horrified late eighties, mm-hmm. early nineties goalkeepers just going, "What the hell is? What the hell am I going to do now?" Because they had to use their feet, and it was it was amazing. What what I like about the back part, I completely agree with all that. <clears throat> what I like the most is. If you look at the scores in Serie A for maybe the first five, six weeks of that season. <laughs> now, Serie A traditionally, you know, it was 0-0, 1-0, 2-0, whatever. And it's just an orgy of goals. 4-4. Four, four. <laughs> I remember Milan won 7-3 at Fiorentina. It's like the whole yeah. defence of goalkeepers had to go cold turkey. It was, it was like basically, it was like taking, I don't know, taking social media off a journalist. They just didn't have a clue what to do. <laughs> it was, honestly, the scores are so funny. It's just it complete, like Adam said, it just like everything they knew had gone out the window. Well, we uh, could settle down after a while, but yeah, we could glorious. we could spend probably an entire episode talking about, about the back pass rule. But what I will say is, yeah, I do think I agree with you that maybe it's not given as much of a, tr- a recognition as a transformational thing it was now, and so maybe it is kind of underrated. I think you're probably right. So moving on, uh, let's talk about Motti versus Barry. Now, how we're going to do this? Now, we're going to do Motson first. First of all, the question comes up often, doesn't it? Who do you like, Motson or Barry Davis? Has anyone, has anyone going to be brave enough to plump for it, or is it too difficult? I, I, it's unfortunate that they've been pitted together in that way. I mean, it's um, you know, I grew up, I grew up um, questioning anyone who watched CITV instead of CBBC. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Motson and Davis shouldn't. I, I, I don't think there should be a kind of dichotomy like that. And um, I think I've read a lot of interviews with Barry Davis and, and he's always asked this question and you can almost hear the sigh that he makes as you read read these interviews because he doesn't like being he doesn't like this kind of constructed rivalry that they had. He he always um makes makes a comment about how he feels a little bit kind of hard done by that that Motson got so many big games. But that's purely a professional thing that he, he he thought he deserved more and I, I, I think he deserved more and that's why he went off and did other sports. But um, by all accounts, they get on perfectly well. Um, no, I've heard I've, that I've, as well. Yeah, I've heard that's, yeah, that's, that's the situation. I um, think what we can agree on though is that they're both better than Brian Moore, aren't they? I, I was never a Brian Moore guy. Nobody's always, a Brian Moore guy. He's, he's, he's a mystifying... Oh, God, go on, Hang on, hang on. I, I, I like Brian Moore. I would... Uh, I'd probably have Brian Moore above Motson, I think. Ooh, that is, now, that is controversial. Our seven listeners are going to be erupting in, in horror. But it, uh, yeah, it's such a personal thing, isn't it, commentary? Yeah. I'd have Barry Davis top, definitely, but so much of it's quite hard to articulate. You just kind of like, I don't know, someone's style or voice, but you can't really explain why. I, I quite like Brian Moore, particularly when he kind of growled as, I don't know, the ball went to like Ronaldo or something, and he would just growl their name, I don't know. It got me every time. And he did do it sort of yeah, for grabs now, didn't he? Which is a genuinely brilliant piece of commentary. I kind of associate Brian Moore with um, uh, um, sort of relentless United games um, midweek on, on ITV <laughs> when obviously there were only only one English team allowed, and United was just, and it was just Brian Moore and um, just Ryan Giggs running down the wing, and um, and then just watching them win when I didn't really want them to win, and and it was and, and that's what I associate him with. I mean, and and. And I didn't really have much of a an idea of him before that. Um, so what do we love do about a, what do we love about Motson then? Well, I do, this is, I do have a theory about um, about Motson's voice, which perhaps gave him a kind of subconscious kind of common man edge over Davis. Davis was obviously his, you know, an almost operatic kind of um, uh, vocal presence. But the thing about Motson is um, 
he was born in he was born in Lancashire. Um, born in yeah, born in Lancashire. He was raised in um, Bury St Edmunds. Then he lived in sort of Suffolk, and then uh, then he then he ended up spending most of his life in in Hertfordshire. And he and he ended up with this kind of accent that you couldn't really place, um, as well as the fact he had a quite an unusual voice, the kind of sort of very emphatic voice and it had a it had a kind of depth to it but it also had this shriek to it so um <laughs> so the fact that you couldn't really place where he was from i i, I wouldn't have been able to really guess he was just um, he was just generically southern thing. to me he was always generically well, yeah, southern yeah. Yeah. i guess so so there was something in it for pretty much everyone and um and his and his voice kind of lent itself to dramatic moments i mean i grew up watching gold compilation videos that's how i kind of that's how i kind of consumed davis and motson for the first 10 years of my life so I kind of really only ever heard them when they were when they were um, commentating over really really famous goals that made their names, and um, so as far as I was concerned, equally you, that neither of them could do wrong. Um, if you put them into a modern game, it, or, or rather um, more accurately, if you put them into a, into a modern broadcast, I don't think anyone would really appreciate how good they were because they are so different to modern commentators. Davis has gone on record saying that commentators now simply talk too much. Uh, which I think is probably right, but um, but yeah, it's it's just they were very very much of their time, and I don't think they'll ever be, you know, surpassed in that sense. Well, you mentioned about his voice, and and I think you've mentioned before, Adam, that you you came to the conclusion that Hughes, as in Mark, or the word Hughes, basically <laughs> massively matched John Watson's voice. So here's an example. We've got some clips. Here's an example of him saying, "I'm not going to use the Oldham goal because that'll be too upsetting for me." Oh, so. Well. So, uh, so we'll do the one against Sheffield United. I think it was in the was it the FA Cup okay. this one? Possibly. Oh, is it that long passing move? Yeah, the big long one two one two. Anyway, here it is. Yeah. Listen to this. Parker Hughes Cantona, a little flick. Hughes again. Move it on. Ince <laughs> Hughes. It's a good move. This Hughes. Ince Hughes. Great move. I didn't count how many times you said Hughes in that, but it seemed like a lot, and every one of them was glorious. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's so true. It's, it's perfect. Just as an aside in that game, you, you know it was commentary when Hughes kicks David Tuttle up the bollocks. I was just saying, is that the same game where basically yeah, just runs into yeah. the corner flag with him and hoofs him On straight up the Yeah, straight up the trousers. But what I like about that as well is that it's it's that thing, and the son about this with Davis later on, where when he suddenly realises something's developing. He yeah. thought he goes. He goes. You know, Hughes. It's all to good move. This like they think. Yeah. Oh yeah, I can see what's coming now. Sort of. I like he, up, he upgrades it from good to great after one more pass, which I quite like. <laughs> <laughs> good move. This great move. But yeah, <clears throat> that's so true about Hughes. I never thought about that. It's like it's absolutely perfect for that kind right. of all right. voice. I will play it. But here's the other Hughes example. It's only a minute to go. It's come to Lee Sharp. Milligan has to get the head on this. Beckford is needed. He wasn't there. It's hooked back in for Hughes. It's there! <laughs> oh, every single time I hear it, it's like a knife through my heart. <laughs> but he, he, does, he does say that surname so beautifully. It does. It. Hughes! It's, it's half... It he, says, he says it like a Welsh person one, would. It's only one syllable, but there's so much going on. Um, <laughs> It, it, it was a similar with um, uh, Viali, where when he played for Chelsea, I think there was a game where they played Liverpool at Stamford Bridge and they came back in, in the FA Cup to win 4-2. And Viali scored quite late on and it was just Viali! <laughs> and um, um, and it, there was actually, academically, it's been proven that, that apparently that, that Motson had the perfect voice for commentary. There was a study in 2001. How, how does what... How does, I'm not an academic, right? But how does one prove such a thing? Is it because of the emotion, the lilt and the light and shade and all that kind of it, stuff? It's a purely sort of oral thing. So some voice analysts concluded that he had the perfect pitch, volume and rhythm um, <laughs> for football commentary. Um, uh, how anyone could possibly prove this, I don't know. But, it, but it, from my perspective, it's the way he kind of swirls each word around the bottom of his mouth, kind of swallows it and then squawks it back out. So <laughs> you, you have every possible range of the frequency spectrum. <laughs> and um, and uh, so he used words like "oh, extraordinary," um, which it just, it just so, it's so much. There's so much talk in there. There's so much, so much force in this in 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 one word. And um, uh, yeah, and it just it captured my imagination as a kid. I think, but, I think um, the but thing with Mo- this is another thing entirely. The thing with Motson as well, I think, is that in 
what made him appealing, I think, is in many ways he was kind of presented as all of us. He was this yeah, kind of really yeah. giddy fan who couldn't believe his luck yeah. sort of thing. Yeah. We always imagine that's how we'd react if we were put in that situation. We always imagine, I don't think it was right, but I think the perception was that with Barry Davis, it was a job. Because he did other commentary jobs, it was seen as a job, I think. Whereas with Motson, it was almost, it's not a job. He's just absolutely loving this, like he's just been dropped in. Is that fair, Rob, do you think? Or? Possibly. I don't, I, don't know, I don't know whether that was true of Barry Davis. Maybe he was Maybe he was seen as slightly aloof. So I know what mm. you mean, yeah. I, I think the whole common man appeal that kind of nails not only Motson's popularity, but also why he got so many gigs ahead of Barry Davis. I think Barry Davis got like what was it, one World Cup final, two oh. FA Cup finals, or something. So yeah, I, I think that does explain it. Um, should we have should we have some more Mots and Magic? Let's have it. Two to his right, and Platini through the middle. Tigana oh, again. this is brilliant. Tigana, Tigana, Platini, go! <laughs> Platini for France with a minute to go. It's three two. I've not seen a match like this in years. <laughs> I've totally forgotten about that. That's his finest hour. I, I love when kind of calm commentators lose their shit. You know, we spoke about Martin Tyler a few weeks ago yeah. into Sampdoria game. Barry Davis has two for, two big examples, which is Leeds will go mad and Bergkamp's goal against Argentina. I, I love it when commentators just completely lose their head. When, it, when it's natural, I agree. Yeah, exactly. When, when you you know, don't, yeah, not when it's trying, Yeah, precisely. Yeah. Like once or twice in a career, you know. Um, yeah. So it has kind of real scarcity value, but that and that was kind of justified with that France game. That was the Euro '84 semi-final, mm. obviously when they beat Portugal, and it was just an incredible game, last-minute winner. Um, yeah, good on it's you, very, It's also it's a very extreme example of of some classic Motson actually, because um, whenever whenever a big goal goes in, he had this kind of little perhaps I don't know I don't know if it was planned, but he had this little system of where he would essentially repeat three things: uh, the fact <laughs> that a goal had been scored, uh, the surname of the player. And the minute that it had happened, or something like that, and, <laughs> and he would just interchange them and say them in, in various different ways. So it would be like <laughs> Platini for France in the minute, in the minute <laughs> for France, Platini. And then <laughs> that's so true. I never thought about that. Yeah. Yeah, and also he'd often say with X minutes to go, wouldn't he? <laughs> and yeah. um, so, so it plugs into this kind of caricature of Motson as this statty kind of data spitting nerd, which is really unfair. In the same way that this kind of idea of Barry Davis as this schoolmaster figure was a little bit overplayed as well. Or maybe not, but um, <laughs> but neither of them really. Well, both of them had a lot more in their in their locker than that. But um, but yeah, Motson Motson. If you think about it, he, he had this kind of uh, dodgy 2002 World Cup where he started using some breakfast similes. But other than that, he <laughs> it was very instinctive, very simple. And and endlessly um, repeated. It was eminently quotable. Um, so, in terms of the art of commentary, especially these these vital moments where a goal is scored in a big game, I don't think there was anyone better. I really don't. Every now and then he got it wrong with his pre. I, I, and you're right. I don't think he did it very often. But every now and then he would plan a line. So you get some gems like the uh, crazy guy beating the country. Yeah, that is well, a blind. Yeah. Still a blind. Whoever wrote it, not. Yeah. When Denmark won in '92, he said something like. It's delightful. It's dramatic. It's Denmark. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> iteration is usually Peter Drury's thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. history hysteria. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, Peter Drury. Peter Drury's another thing entirely. Um, I know a lot of people hate him, but I, I think he's he's a, he's my cult commentary hero. I, I quite um, like my only the only thing I dislike about Peter Drury is he, when when an equaliser was scored, he'd always shout parity. Which... <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like a really shit board game. Yeah, but I, I agree about Peter Drury, but you're right, that's another episode. Entirely. My favourite yeah. underrated commentator ever was John Helm, who always got like the fourth tier game on oh, Match of the Day. Like on his own. Yeah. He did a great when Socrates scored an absolute screamer against USSR in 82, John Helm did a, I forget exactly what it was, but it was a brilliant commentary. I quite like John Helm. Yeah, Meanwhile, back at Motson, you can't have a Motson without an OI say, can you? Ready? Orbiston, all Grimes is onside, and so is Whiteside here. Oh, I say! It's amazing! You can't see this, listeners, but Rob just mouthed that as it was being said. <laughs> That's a fantastic one, isn't it? 
I think Barry Davis um, says, "Oh, I say" quite a bit as well, doesn't he? I, um, I think another thing about that goal. Sorry to sorry to jump in, before I forget it. Um, just after that, it's another bit of classic Motson, where after a goal comes in, and then it's maybe the replays playing. He has this kind of rhythmical listing of what's happened. Um, <laughs> side said the linesman, and then he just sort of you can you almost you can hear the commas as he moves on, and it's just this brilliant bit of storytelling. I mean, I, I realise that you know, a lot of commentary, commentary is essentially just telling you what you're seeing, but he he just kind of lists what happens, and um, that that is one of my favourite commentary goals. It's just from start to finish, everything is absolutely perfect. I'm going to fi- we'll finish on Motson with this one. It's quite a long one, but I think it's a blinding one because, and Adam, this is one you sent to us where. It's when England beat Argentina in that friendly in 2002, <laughs> was it? And it's 2005. 2005. So we're going outside of our years, but it's just, it's Motson, so you can. And, um, but it's more, it's, it's just, yeah, it, it is, it is obviously he's living his fantasy of England winning the World Cup, as you said, but actually it isn't. It's just, a, it's, but it's still great. <laughs> so it's about a minute long, so bear with it, everyone, but it is fantastic because he just winds himself up all the way through it. <laughs> Stupid friendly in Geneva, I think it was. Um, in a, yeah, um, oh, I mean, I'm in tears listening to that. It's, it's <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. That, that is absolutely. Bro- I've not heard that before. That is, <laughs> that is, it is glorious, isn't it? So yeah, so there you go. That's that's some little trips through uh, our memories of John Motson and what we think of him. But we we love him, don't we? But we think I think we're all united in maybe our love of Barry. We'll come on to that a little bit later on. So moving back to some underrated things then. Rob, you had a nomination of the 1993-94 Arsenal Cup Winners' Cup. I did. Can I just quickly go back to back, the Backpass Law? Yeah, of course you can, yeah. So I, I just remembered a story that the Backpass Law came in in 92, but Nottingham Forest came in a bit earlier than that. Because in 90, 1991, they played Crystal Palace in the FA Cup, and they were 2-1 up in the last minute of extra time. Keane passed the ball back to Mark Crossley, Roy Keane, who kind of half-cleared it to Solarco, scored from 45 yards. And then they went in the dressing room and Brian Clough walked up to Keane and without saying a word, just punched him in the face and sent, <laughs> sent him flying. And then said, never fucking pass the ball back to our goalkeeper again. So he, he never used to call Crossley by his name. He used to say the goalkeeper or the our goalkeeper, goalkeeper yeah. didn't he, Clough? <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Forest, Forest were actually, um, Forest were obviously quite central to the back pass door. Um, very quick one. In the uh, Makita tournament, which was the, uh, <laughs> that short-lived and wonderful pre-season tournament. This was in 92. So this was... This was just after the rule had been introduced, and you know teams were really, really trying to experiment with how they would deal with it. Um, Brian Laws um, knelt down and headed the ball back to his goalie. Oh, uh, on all Yeah, um, <laughs> uh, Steve Sutton, I think it was, and um, he got booked for it because it was because um, he was essentially trying to circumvent the rule, and yeah, he got booked for it for an unsporting or ungentlemanly conduct, as it would have been then. Is that probably the only and, time uh, that's ever been used? <laughs> The ungentlemanly uh, conduct. Uh, it happens. Uh, we probably. It, it covers so many, so many possible things. It's it, ungentlemanly conduct is essentially the thing that covers where the rule doesn't exist. Yeah, indeed. The yeah. guys, well, we can't really be doing that. So uh, yeah, there you go. Does that still exist? Ungentlemanly conduct. Surely, rest should use it more. It's, been, rub- it's been rebranded in in these more um, woke times to be um, <laughs> un- unsporting conduct. 
Anyway, yes, Arsenal, sorry. Um, well, I, I just think that English teams were so bad in Europe for most of the 90s. <laughs> now, I know United won the Cup in 91, but they didn't beat that much apart from Barcelona in the final. Whereas Arsenal actually had a really tough run. People forget this. I, I think there's a certain snobbery about the Cup Winners' Cup, but actually it doesn't necessarily stand up to scrutiny. Certainly not when you look who they beat. So they beat um, Torino in the quarterfinals, and this is in the era when all Serie A teams were absolutely terrifying. Mm. You know? the, the champions of England could be playing the bottom team in Serie A, and the bottom team would be favourites. Um, semi-finals, they beat PSG, who had Ginola, Wea, and had put out Real Madrid. Then in the final, they beat Palmer, who had a front three of um, Zola, Broden, when he was really good, and Aspria. Uh, they also had Benarivo and um, Apolloni, who played the World Cup final a couple of months later. Arsenal had a midfield of, I think, Paul Davis, Steve Morrow, and Ian Selly. Ian Selly. <laughs> Legend. Right suspended. Uh, it's a huge achievement, which is never spoken about, really. It's pretty much forgotten. People remember Naeem's goal of the year after more than they do wasn't Arsenal Steve winning. Morrow famously dropped by Andy Linegan? Was by, no, by Tony Adams. Tony yeah. Adams, yeah. Um, I just think it's such a big achievement. And I, I kind of we take it for granted now that English teams, although English teams aren't so good in Europe anymore, they still get to a certain level, i.e. after Christmas. In those days, it was pretty unusual for any English teams, certainly more than one, to be in the competition in March. And I think that year, Arsenal were the only one. You know, United, who were a brilliant team and would win the double, were beaten by Galatasaray. I beat them oh, yeah. fairly comfortably, even though it was on away goals. They were kind of taught a lesson. Um, and I think Norwich beat Bayern Munich when it went out to Inter. Villa didn't go far. And Arsenal played against some really good teams. And I think yeah. it's just, it's one of the great triumphs for that back forward. It didn't score many goals, um, but I think they'd conceded one in five knockout or in the kind of last five knockout games against good opposition. Mm. I think that's right. And I just, I just think it's a reminder of just how good that back forward team were. And also, it kind of always makes you wonder whether England missed a trick with that that back four just dropping them in on mass. I know it's not easy because you have really good players like Pierce and Gary Neville and so on. Um, but that was such a good back four. I kind of feel like we didn't quite appreciate well, that at the was, time that was, just how good they that were. That was something that other countries other countries used to do. I mean, like taking it to an extreme example, let's say sort of Lobanovsky, uh, Lobanovsky's yeah. Soviet Union, where he would basically transplant Dynamo Kiev's team. <laughs> yeah. In, the Arsenal team, yeah, with, with mixed results. But um, I, I agree, you know, maybe it's a kind of uh, greater than the sum of their parts situation where, all right, you might have better individuals, especially when it comes to a defence. Well, you exactly. think, well, it might as well be worth giving it a try. Do it, in a, do it in an away friendly with New Zealand or, I don't know. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm surprised. Yeah, I'm surprised I didn't give it a go. Yeah, Italy and Milan up to a point. They, they kind of, by 94, yeah. Saki had a lot of them, didn't he? The Sotti yeah. was in the squad, and obviously the other three, Costa Calabresi. And, and you, um, you talk about Bobby. boring, boring Arsenal. They beat Standard Liège 10 0 on aggregate yeah, in the second yeah, round. 7 0 away, yes. Yeah, 7 0 away. Even Ian Selly scored. Um, <laughs> but um, I, I guess, I don't know, maybe those sort of the early to mid 90s, you had you had English teams, I was going to say British teams, but English, English teams who were. Who, it, well, we weren't far removed from the European ban at all. We, we were maybe about three or four years back into it. So obviously the talent was more or less there. Um, they, and you had, a, you had a sprinkling of, of good foreign players with the English clubs. But generally speaking, there was a complete lack of kind of street wisdom, if yeah, you like, exactly. when it came to European football. So um, Rob mentioned United and Galatasaray, where there's this, there's a, you must have seen this, but there's the video of, of United in Galatasaray where they were all pretty much terrified you've got ryan giggs talking about the smell of the ground and how you can smell the cheap cigarettes and um and then Cantona absolutely losing it punching uh, <laughs> a ball into oblivion where and does that ball go that yeah, is the greatest thing you've yeah. ever seen how do you punch a ball that high <laughs> I've, I've never seen what one thing about it's quite interesting that it's that apparently after you know obviously there was the brawl with the police and everything on the way down the tunnel and Cantona yeah. wanted to go back out and it is worth kill those fuckers. And even Roy, even Roy Keane was counting against it. <laughs> Never mind Robson, Bruce. I mean, there were some tough men in that team and they didn't want yeah. a piece. But you're right. I think it kind of sums up the, the, the naivety about everything, really, the experience yeah. tactically as well. And that's why I think it's so worthy. And I know United won the Cup of this Cup three years earlier, but I don't think their run was nearly as tough as Arsenal's. No, but at, at the same time... Um, um, 
what I remember of, of English teams in Europe in, in the mid-90s, all the way towards maybe when, when Chelsea won the Cup Winners' Cup in 98, um, English teams at home were a kind of a different proposition. They kind of brought that Premier League tempo. Um, and, and, and a lot of the time, European teams or continental teams couldn't handle it. They, they, they were kind of sort of steamrolled by this kind of relentless, relentless pace and tempo that they perhaps didn't play with. So every now and then, the English style of play kind of, kind of really, really was effective in Europe. And then maybe over the last sort of last ten years or so, everything the tactics are kind of kind of homogenous across Europe anyway, so it doesn't really make as much difference. But there was a kind of period in the nineties where where an English style of play was very effective at home, but then it got kind of unpicked away. That's true. I think a good example of that is United Barcelona in ninety four five. United drew two all at home to Barcelona, but they actually played really well. Certainly in the first half an hour, they ran them absolutely ragged. But then of course they went away and were slaughtered four 0 at the time, oh. completely humiliating. So there you go, then Arsenal's Cup Winners' Cup. Uh, underrated victory, we think. And then, of course, the next year... Well, they were going for back-to-back wins, weren't they? And then, of course, Nayeem from the halfway line and, and all of that stuff. So we will be back after these short messages uh, with our journeyman of the week, so stick around. Welcome back. So we're going to start back this second half of the show with our journeyman of the week. Now, I was thinking about this. What is it that makes a journeyman? I mean, it's the obvious stuff. Lots of clubs. Is there a minimum number of clubs you have to have played for to be a journeyman, do you think? I have an equation for this. Well, I developed myself an equation as well, Adam, so it'll be interesting to see if yours corresponds with mine. So, shoot. Well, this is going to be, this is going to be a pretty cool couple of minutes right Isn't now. it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'll, I'll be back uh, in uh, 10 well, minutes, lad. <laughs> I've road tested this against a few sort of Wikipedia pages of, of various journeymen, and I'm fairly sure this stacks up. Basically, if you, if you take their age... And divide it by four. If the if the figure you get is less than the number of clubs they played for, you have a journeyman on your hands. So essentially, um, uh, yeah, yeah, um, they have to have played for quite a few clubs in a, in a short space, relatively short space of time, rather than spread over a huge career, um, like sort of John Burridge style. And um, so uh, take Nicholas Anelka, for example, who, who obliterates that equation because um, he's the deluxe journeyman. He, he, he played for lots of clubs and, and spent only a few seasons at each. Yours sounds a little bit more complicated than mine. I basically decided <laughs> that if you basically take the number of clubs they've played for and divide that by the number of years their career spanned, mm-hmm. and that gives you a percentage then, it gives you a percentage journeyman rating. So if you think about right. Alan Shearer, who played for three clubs in 18 years, He's 16% journeyman. And if you think about Letitia, two clubs in 17 years, 11% journeyman. Expected goals has got nothing on this. (laughs) I know, I tell you what, it's absolutely incredible, isn't it? I've had a complete mind blank here. Who the hell did Letitia play for, other than Southampton? Eastleigh. Oh come on! <laughs> <laughs> he did. He had. He had his final. He went from Southampton to Eastleigh, then retired, then came back and played for Guernsey years later. But I'm not, I wasn't counting that one. I think Letitia is going to very much um, protest this 11 percent rating. <laughs> he wouldn't be happy with that at all. Zero percent yeah. it gets surely. But no, no. All right, yeah, that's fine. Math, math. <laughs> so, our journeyman of the week, our first journeyman of the week, and I've nominated this one is the legendary. 80s and 90s footballer, 70s as well, I think, actually, Imre Verardi. 20-year career, 16 clubs, which, in case you're wondering, gives him an 80% journeyman rating. (laughs) I I like this equation. It does work. It does work. Um, He played for five clubs in one year in 1995, (laughs) Imre Verardi. He was part of the Leeds United side that won the old first division in 1992. Funny you should mention them. I found that out today. I was amazed. I had no idea. Yeah, only played in three matches, but and that wasn't enough games to get a winner's medal, which kind of sums up his career, really. <laughs> <laughs> he was the man who started the whole banana thing, wasn't he? They used to call him Imre Banana when they were waving the bananas around at City in the late 80s, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know whether he, that was the bananas came first and then they just called him that, or whether they called him that then the bananas came. It was a pretty dark time at City in the late 80s, really. I wouldn't yeah. <laughs> Um, the only thing I know about Imri Baradi really is um, um, you, you know you must know the Chuckle Brothers, of course, who are who are yes. huge Rotherham United fans. And uh, during the height of Chuckle Vision, they made a point <laughs> of sneaking Imri Baradi's name into as many episodes of Chuckle Vision as they could. 
That's um, amazing. Yeah. What, so, was the uh, kind of, what was the context of them using it? It was um, it was sort of along the you know along the lines of um, if, if they were expressing sort of starstruckness or or, or awesomeness. Yeah. And they, and they say, well, yeah, your hero in Riverade, <laughs> something like that, and um, and that is that is the big. Beginning and end of my knowledge of Imre Verdi, and he was two years at Rotherham United in 1993 to 1995. That's why I think he got sacked. He got that sacked. Reminds, that reminds you. Do you remember when? Oh, sorry, go on. No, that's it. That's it. <laughs> no, he just got sacked. Yeah. 98 World Cup when the England players had a bet to get as many song titles as they could in the, uh, <laughs> yeah. the um, in their interviews, and I, I can still hear Tony Adams just going, "I'm so excited." I yeah. don't know why that's just stuck. In and what was it? Graham Rousseau said, "What's the cab like?" Well, it's no Club Tropicana. He said that it was there, it was all that, wasn't it? And, uh, yeah. And Shearer ruined it with his big, with his big grin. Yeah, yeah. You've yeah, ruined that, Shearer, with his sixteen yeah. percent journeyman rating. I think some people say teams for it to lose a glimpse in the aftermath. Of that, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can't really imagine that in Bloemfontein in two thousand and ten. <laughs> There's no, there wouldn't have been enough character in the England squad to, to pull that off. I don't think. Capello wouldn't have allowed that, would he? So, no, that's true. Some career highlights from Ray Verardi. He was a top scorer for West Bromwich Albion in 1986, 85-86 season with a magnificently gigantic nine goals. <laughs> the Baggies were relegated that year. You'll be very surprised to hear. <laughs> he scored, a, if you look on YouTube, it's Sheffield Wednesday 2, Liverpool 0 from 1984 at Anfield. And Ray is leading the line for Sheffield Wednesday and he scores a magnificent comedy goal against Grobbelaar. Grobbelaar tries to do one of his Grobbelaar things and it comes out to Verardi and Grobbelaar chases him into the right channel and Verardi just wangs it one across the box and it ends up going in in the far <laughs> corner. I watched, I watched that earlier. It was, um, it was a splendid piece of mugging off. Um, the sort of mugging off that only Grobbelaar really got at the time. It was <laughs> yeah. a good finish because he was he quite was, wide. He was very wide. He was in the right channel. It was a hell of quite an angle, yeah. Yeah. What, I, what also sums me up about him is when you read about him, apparently Hungary came asking if he played for them in 1984 because he's, he's of Hungarian yeah. descent. And apparently he turned them down because he said, you've already, got, you've already got a lot of good strikers. I love that, <laughs> I love that he knew exactly what his place was in the grand scheme of things. He kind of went, oh, look, you don't want me, lads, honestly. You know, you've got loads yeah. of good strikers. Don't, you don't want me. That's tremendous. That's admirable self-awareness. For if football. it's true, but yeah, that's that, so, so the story is told. Kind of the opposite well, of Hungary, in 1984. I don't, I don't know. Actually, I'll be honest. I'm not, you know, I'm not bad on 80s football, but I'm not right up there with what Hungary were like. What Hungary strike line, top line was like in 84. That's another episode. Still about. Yeah. So yeah, so there you go, journeyman of the week, Mr. Imre Verardi, who, in case you're wondering, I'll just give it very, very quickly. Played for Letchworth, Sheffield United, Everton, Newcastle. Sheffield Wednesday, West Bromwich Albion, City, Sheffield Wednesday again, Leeds United, Luton, Oxford, Rotherham, Mansfield, Boston, Scunthorpe and Matlock. And just to confirm, Rotherham, Mansfield, Boston, Scunthorpe and Matlock were all in the same season. Which is which is some going. And he managed Matlock. Oh, he managed he Matlock as well, did he? Right. Yeah. Just to round it off. <laughs> player management is, is, is a cherry on the icing of the cake of a journeyman. Um, it's not. It's not. A, you don't. It's not mandatory, but it's nice to have. <laughs> it's encouraged. And now the and a lot of them end up becoming local radio colour commentators, don't they? <laughs> yeah. Right then, let's move on to Motti versus Barry Part Two. Oh, we've said we don't want it to be versus, do we? Motti and Barry Part Two. Let's talk about Barry, shall we? Now, I've mentioned. I mentioned this thing about Barry before. I'll start on this. I think there was almost a sort of cla- classic British class war objection to Barry from the footballing community in that I think the fact that he did the tennis and also did things like badminton in the Commonwealth Games, he was almost treated as if he was a bit of an imposter. Or that, that's why people didn't quite warm to him as much. We do, obviously, but I think generally people didn't quite warm to him as much. I do think there was something about him being a bit posh and you know did the tennis, therefore maybe didn't take football as seriously as he should, like Motson did. And pe- um, I would... Uh, I don't know, it's... And when you talk about, I mean, one of the main... I don't agree with that, by the way. I'm just saying that's what I think. No, 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 I'm fine. hypothesizing. Yeah, one of the main kind of criteria for enjoying a commentator is, is this perception of whether they love football or not. And there, are, there, there is this kind of idea that he treated football with disdain. But his tellings off 
of various players like England of the 86 World Cup where you just went, ah, as they gave the ball away in midfield. While you talk about um, that, let's just play that because it is yeah, glorious. Mistake <laughs> ah, by Fennick. And again, it's a three against two break. And this is Boniek and he's onside. Two trying to come to him. Oh, what an important put in by Terry Butcher. But England just cannot afford to make crass errors like that. We've got away with it twice. We cannot tempt fate further. <laughs> yeah, so, have a bollocking, yeah. Yeah, that, that was a bollocking born out of uh, out of a desire to see football played in the right way and, and not to see errors made. So it, it, it was, yeah, it was it was just, a, it was kind of like a bad cop to, to Motson's good cop. It, it, he was telling them off because he wanted them to do better, not because he was disgusted with what he was seeing generally. And, um, uh, but yeah, so I, I, I would, I would never, I would never doubt Davis's love of football, despite the fact that he, you know, he veered into hockey and, and all sorts, but, um, uh, but yeah, there you go. I, I also think, think he absolutely gone. loved football. Oh, oh God, yeah, 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 absolutely. Loved, like even, I agree with Adam said, even when he bollocked Italy, which he did every two years, but no <laughs> Italian exit from a major tournament was complete without admonishment from Davis, but he did it because he kind of knew they could be better and they shouldn't be sitting on one goal leads after two minutes. Um, yeah, I, I can't think of a commentator to me who, so ob- I thought he was a complete romantic and just completely yeah. in love with football. It's also yeah, the f- I mean, a lot. A lot of people don't like commentators who editorialise. They don't see that true. that's the job of a commentator. Barry editorialised. He kind of went, that was terrible, you know, and that needs to be better. Yeah. And actually well, some people say that's not a commentator job, but I actually think it is. Yeah, but he was, uh, and so obviously, well, when he becomes known for that, people are going to focus on the on, on the times that he disapproved of things. But that, that for every moment that he would he was bollocking a play, he was he was he was talking poetically about a goal that had just gone in. I, I don't know any other commentators who use the word "lovely" so many. Yeah, lovely goal. And it, and, yeah. It, and it came across, oh, a lovely goal, and um and and it, it felt quite quite natural. And um, so, yeah, so for, for every lovely bit of play, um. Uh, there was a bit that he disapproved of, and that's fine. Because people do say there's something about Motti's schoolboy excitement, and like you say, uh, Adam, that somehow Barry didn't have that. But then if you listen to things like this... <laughs> Hughes wants to set himself up again! Oh, what a goal! <laughs> Big John Hughes moving forward, <laughs> breathing the chance, and giving it the <laughs> I love that. I mean, seriously, breathing the chance and giving it the hammer—that is absolutely. Yep. I mean, that is one of my favourites, and it's a. I mean, obviously, Adam, you—I imagine, like you, like a lot of people, the hundred and one great goals video for the BBC was probably the greatest VHS release of all time, which is where I, I saw I all of these goals. Copy of hundred and one great goals when I die. <laughs> <laughs> But it, it is actually, when you listen to a lot of these clips, it's how many times he does react in total joy and say, what a goal, or lovely goal, because it is, mm-hmm. it's absolutely amazing. Here's, let's have some others. McDonald's, control! Oh, what a goal! What a brilliant goal! <laughs> Magnificent! And with the right foot, too! <laughs> <laughs> Wondering where it came from. <laughs> That's just this so good. This is what I meant when I said he was—he had this kind of operatic voice because he yeah. kind of soars over the action, doesn't he? And um, and he doesn't—he doesn't. I mean, there was there was um, moments like look at his face, just look at his face, where he where his voice did kind of essentially just lose it. But every now and then, he he really did sort of capture the, the tone of everything really really well. I think he was great at capturing the mood of whether it was a goal, a moment, <clears throat> like um. There are just so many. I was thinking, I can think of a couple of Ryan Giggs goals early in his career when there's that whole kind of infectious youth, and you think, geez, what are we seeing here? This is the best young player in forever. And he really captured it. I, th- I thought he was brilliant at that. But also, actually, the, Mar- the second Maradona goal when he, um, the after the hand of goal when he beats half the England yeah. team, and he said, you have to say that's magnificent. Well, let's, let's that have a listen. A- let's have a listen. He's not maybe as quick off his line. It's a fact Jimmy Hill won't shut up for the first five <laughs> seconds of the move. And uh, <laughs> that ball was played through to him, but here's Maradona again. He has Borchaga to his left and Valdano to his left. He doesn't, he won't need any of them. Oh, you have to say that's magnificent. There is no 
<laughs> Sorry, I'll start again. Yeah, go on. What I love about that is it captures the kind of ideal response to the goal. I suspect in reality it didn't capture the mood of the country at the time. <laughs> yeah, indeed, yeah. <laughs> but but I completely agree with it. You know, whether I did then, I don't know, because I was young and an idiot. But yeah, I, I I love that sense of that kind of naive appeal to the good nature of Joe Bloggs. I think it's really uh, something quite endearing about that. That goal, and also, um, uh, actually, as you mentioned, an, uh, another Ryan Giggs goal. Uh, I'm, I'm going to jump in here, but I'm essentially paraphrasing uh, something Rob wrote years ago about Barry Davis. <laughs> um, he was so he was so pleased with what he'd just seen that um, that even he, one of the most um, you know well-spoken, very deliberate commentators, just essentially just lost it completely. So um, when Maradona was running through the phrase, he doesn't need them, became he doesn't need them. Yeah. And, um, and uh, a brilliant one, which people mentioned to me a lot when, when I was tweeting about Davis a while ago, was uh, Ryan Giggs scored against oh, Spurs at White Hart Lane. That's when he to Bernard Matthews. <laughs> and he rounds the keeper, and he, and he in, rather than calling it beautiful and brilliant, he essentially morphed them together and just call it beautiful. <laughs> he, he made a really good point about the Maradona goal once, which is that as a commentator, he was almost chasing Maradona, and that's why those words got tangled because everything's happening so fast. Possibly because Jimmy Hill wouldn't shut up, as you said. I think but he's, he's always he's almost one step behind Maradona all the time, and that's why he yeah. said. Dun, dun, dun. And then he obviously catches up. But I think it is easy, regardless of all of them, and we've talked about this before as well, Rob, is how difficult a job it is. I think it's incredibly difficult. You know, yeah. I mean, we're I sat mean, here trying to talk. We could always just stop this and re-edit it if we wanted to. So that didn't go very well. But they can't do that. They have to I'm find amazed. the perfect word, the perfect intonation, the perfect, like your point, Adam, perfect operatic sort of a delivery mm. to suit the thing. It's incredible. Yeah, go on, Rob. I'm amazed there aren't more cock-ups. Um, <laughs> with co- no, but, but yeah, seriously, seriously, this is what yeah. you said. But a couple of things about Barry Davis just that I like. One we mentioned before is his his use of silence. Um, there's a famous clip, and I think it's one of his proudest commentaries, which is um, the Euro 96 semi-final. And they went to him, Desline, and went to him about 10 minutes before the kickoff, and the crowd were all singing three lines. And he, he said, he basically hardly says anything. You can get it on YouTube. He hardly says anything for 10 minutes. Mm. But I kind of like that. It's like, what am I going to add to this? You know, it's like kind yeah. of perfect patriotism whether you like it or not it's kind of it was like a perfect moment he's not gonna and i love the fact he did. and what annoys me a bit this happens a lot with um in cricket when richie bello died everyone said oh wasn't he brilliant he knew how to use silence and then none of the fuckers do they just keep talking and talking <laughs> it's not it's that just, difficult um, it just doesn't it just it's just not tolerated in in, in modern broadcasting no, exactly. you can imagine someone in their ear going dead air dead air yeah exactly exactly and um um yeah, you, you, occasionally you'll you'll watch a game, and um, maybe the, maybe the commentators having problems with their microphone, or, or something's happening off the field and they can't say anything. And there's just this blissful moment where all you can hear is the crowd. Yeah. And uh, it's it's actually quite nice watching a game without a commentator. Um, you know, occasionally you can press the red button and, and choose it, and it's uh, it's quite nice. I really like going back to your '96 when um, Southgate misses. And Davis says, "Oh no!" And then just nothing. He says nothing for ages. Yeah, just kind yeah. of lets the moment. And because I think that's, that's what brilliant. we were all doing. That's what we were all doing. I exactly. Like, what's he going to add to that? It's a tragedy yeah. for Gareth Southgate. Like, fuck off. I yeah. just think it's, a, it's brilliant commentary. The other thing I like about him is just he clearly cared about language. And one example is that he never called it a penalty shootout. He always called it a penalty competition, which yeah. I think is really nice because shootout. Like, what the fuck is this? Like Clint Eastwood film, you know. <laughs> um, and I just like the fact he always called it a penalty competition. I don't know. The, the, yeah, he just... He, I, it always struck me that, like, he'd be... I always thought the biggest difference between him and Martin, and I know this isn't fair, but I would think that he would... I imagine that he would bring a dictionary to the game and Motson would bring a Rothman's yearbook. Um, <laughs> yeah, and I know that's, that's a good simplistic. Point, yeah, yeah. But I don't I just think Davis cared much more... Well, not much more, but Davis just cared about language in a way that made him, like, certainly my favourite commentator. So we have another clip. I love this one. Yeah. Here's Jones... <laughs> what about that? And look what it means. Just listen to what it means. Whatever happens, whether they go down or not, they're going down fighting. Back in the lead with a goal by Chris Jones. A superb pirouette and a real crunch to the far corner. That's a perfect example of what you've just said. 
You know, because one, it's the awareness of what's around him. Look at what it means. And he's aware of the noise and listen to what it means. And then he downshifts into a superb pirouette and a crunch into the far corner. Like that. You know, he hasn't got that written down. That just... Yeah. We should say, in fairness, he had a few shockers as well. Um, The 95 Cup final, he had a bit of a shocker. One of his rare Cup finals. So he he was by no means perfect. But Mm. yeah, I think when he was good, he kind of reached heights that other, other commentators didn't definitely... This has been a very this has been a very useful discussion for me because uh, as 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 a kind of diehard neutral, if you like, in in, in this possibly <laughs> debate, uh, um, I've I've actually now been convinced that maybe I do love Davis Davis more. Um, Don't succumb it, to peer it, pressure. It, <laughs> yeah, that's enough from us. It's it's, 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 a, it's a proper affection. It 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 um it's it's easy to enjoy Moxon's commentary, but it's it, it was arguably harder to to warm to the man. Just because of what you say, he, he maybe his interests lie slightly differently to David's, but David perhaps he captured perhaps the passion of football a little bit better um, by by the means of what he said rather than Motson's just sound of Motson's voice. So yeah, uh, over this last two minutes, I've convinced myself that maybe. Uh, uh, but but Davis was always the grandfather that I never had anyway, so that that um, that was always the case. You met him, didn't you, Rob? I did. I interviewed him once. I. I on, on my birthday, actually, it was it was a, oh my it was god, a, it was yeah. He's such a nice guy. I interviewed him for the Blizzard, um, yeah. which is uh, you know the quarterly that Jonathan Wilson does. Yeah, he's just absolutely lovely guy. Um, I <laughs> I spilled a pint, it was really embarrassing. <laughs> so, I don't know whether it was nerves or just. I don't. We didn't. We not have many. But, so you know. <laughs> Did he give you like a ah telling us? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Smile just filled his pipe because he just will not learn. <laughs> Speaking of classic bits of passion, uh, we can't let Barry go without this one, can we? Did really well then against the upstump. Your mention of Maradona. In his first World Cup, he didn't pick him in 78. He was sent off. Beautifully pulled down by Barkey! That is a classic example of that is what everybody was doing. Because nobody yeah. saw it coming, did they? It was just this big punt from De Boer, wasn't it? And then it just then that happened and everyone watching did what he did, but probably not quite, quite as a nicer voice ironic. as he did it in. Quite ironic really that he was um harping on about Maradona in a sort of Jimmy Hilling himself. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I love that as a verb to Jimmy Hill. I like that. <laughs> Yeah, Jimmy Hill is a verb. Yeah, definitely go down. I um uh, I ought to get this in. Uh, I, I'm not trying to upstage um, Rob's pint spilling incident, but by any <laughs> means, um, because at least it happened with uh, with Barry Davies in the flesh. But um, uh, I got married earlier this year, and uh, my brother, um, who was my best man, and he was in charge of the speech, um, managed to get a video message from Barry, who. Wow. Um, who um, and I know this sounds this sounds cringy as fuck, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, he basically he basically recommendeared some of his famous lines uh, and reappropriated them for my wedding day. And that uh, is amazing. And, and uh, the whole thing, the whole thing, uh, I was I was just I was just dead. I was just dead. That's just confirmed my perception that he's one of the great human beings in my context. <laughs> that's incredible. That is true. Yeah. Yeah. And also, yeah, that's incredibly bastard. No, that's actually, yeah, that's absolutely lovely. He, he did seem, as always, he was such a nice guy. And even actually, you're right, we were talking earlier about the Motson thing. He's at pains to say, look, I'll go to my grave not knowing why he got certain things ahead of me. Yeah. But that's not that's not his fault. There's no animosity. You know, we got him well. His book's actually a really entertaining read. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah. I, um, I just, I, I, perhaps one thing that maybe, well, I don't think this sums it up, but I think um, um, perhaps this, this kind of, um, encapsulates where they stood in the in the nation's kind of um, collective thinking at the time of when they were the high their profession. But John Motson got an episode of This Is Your Life, and Barry Davis didn't. And, uh, Barry Davis, Barry Davis was at least in the kind of special guest section of John Motson's um, bit, sat on the sofa chuckling away. But um, when I as soon as I watched that, I googled Barry Davis, This Is Your Life, and it, nothing came up. And I thought, how dare they? <laughs> so uh, if it ever comes back, that you better bloody well get the red book. I do think that, that there is that is something about the Motson as national treasure and Barry not quite. 
which is completely yeah, unfair. But I do think that's the popular view. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I, I agree. I think it's unfair, but um, I think it all comes back to that common man thing, like you said. Mm. I think there's definitely something. Else. I'm not, I'm not saying that's fair because I think no, indeed, it is what it is. Barry Davis was like a, just a football tragic to use the uh, the vogue term, but yeah, he he wasn't always perceived that way. Yeah, I think he's getting his dues though. Um, yeah, know, so when he came back a couple of years ago, or whenever it was, there was like an outpouring of love, wasn't there? When he when he did that Crystal Palace game, was it for the anniversary? Yeah, that's right. Of course, yeah, he returned to match of the day, and um, and yeah, there was there was tribute pouring in as if he died. Um, yeah. not these days, but um, you know, oh, don't you, say you get... that, Adam. That's don't say. It. Don't that's even that's... say it. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe they'll get me to do a video message for his funeral or something. <laughs> that was about, that's about an hour that we've got up to there, so we'll probably leave it there, actually. Thank you very uh, much, Rob. Enjoy. Thank you very much, Adam, for coming along. Thank you, everybody, for listening. And thank you for all of your subscriptions, and please continue to do so and tell your friends if you enjoy what we're doing here. Thank you very much, everybody, and speak to you next week. Goodbye. Sports Social Podcast Network.